to the conversation on women in family business. We are WIFB, the global initiative that offers an opportunity to women all over the world to share their thoughts on matters related to the family enterprise. In this episode, we spoke to Janice DiPietro, founder and CEO of Exceptional Leaders International. Janice explained the factors that are still standing in the way of women assuming leadership positions, what skills they should hone to better position themselves within an organization, and the one thing women need to do that men are already doing. Enjoy this episode with Janice. We were talking about what makes you passionate about the subject of leadership. It is a subject that's so frequently debated and it means such a different thing to so many people. I just wanted to understand how leadership and the topic of leadership has sort of shaped your life and career. So I began to tell you, you know, I've been fortunate to have had and to have a wonderful career. But as I think back, there have been products and services that I was associated with that had wonderful market opportunity, and this was younger in my career, where leadership just wasn't there, it wasn't at the level needed by the organization. And so those companies were never quite able to fully reach the impact that they should have had. I've been associated with other organizations where good solid products and services, maybe not those that would you know necessarily blow the market away, but they had exceedingly strong leadership and we were able to just, you know, kind of capture the world. So, you know, the impact of leadership is very real, both at a professional and I think profoundly at a personal level in terms of being able to grow. And it's certainly has shaped you know, my career. So I am passionate about it. I'm particularly passionate for helping women really capture the full value of their capabilities. And do you believe that for women, and, and this is like, it's a bit of a double-edged question, of course, because the question becomes these days, is it an empowering thing to ask whether it's more challenging for women to do so, or is it, uh, is it counterproductive? But what has made you passionate about, especially leadership development in women, and where do you see, see that being a particularly different subject as opposed to developing leadership with men? So I think there's a great many commonalities, right, between the two, because there's kind of core skill sets and experiences and knowledge base that whether you're a male or female, you need to have as you think about kind of assuming additional roles within an organization. But for women, there are some things that we kind of innately bring upon ourselves, I think, that um, you know, that, that require us to kind of really think differently about how we will lead and to feel comfortable in being leaders. And frankly, there is still biases in the world that women are still addressing. And of course, you add the complexity now of kind of a Me Too world. And so there's all of these dimensions. So for, you know, women as they're both in current leadership roles and as they're continuing to develop, there's a lot kind of happening simultaneously. So lots of similarities, but clearly differences for women, both internally as well as externally kind of put upon them. So when you think about the public conversation around the subject of like, you know, women pushing further, pushing the boundaries, becoming more visible in the conversation when it comes to leadership, whether it be in politics or business and uh, either either area. What's the difference for you today and like in the conversation we're having today as opposed to the conversation we had even maybe 10 years ago? Is there a difference? Do you really feel we're talking about this differently? And if so, how? 
So I think there's a, a few things that have happened over the last you know, 10 to 20 years that are, are different, right? So when I think of when I started my career, for example, I was one of two women in an office of a what's now a big four public accounting firm, right? I was the most senior ranked female in the office. You know, I graduated in a class with a very small percentage of women. So you fast forward to today, you know, sometimes 60% of just using business schools as, a, as an example of graduates are women, um, the sheer numbers. So it's no longer, and I just had this conversation with a, a male senior partner in a large firm on Saturday. So he was saying, you know, certainly the entry number are equivalent. So we're bringing in same number of men and women. Now, that wasn't possible you know, in, in many cases 10, 15 years ago because there just weren't women coming out of universities at the same level. So the entry level of the same and really have been the same now for quite some time. So you would say, okay, well, I understand perhaps, you know, a period ago when there were fewer women that could have been promoted in these organizations. Well, enough time has now gone by. So we should be able to look at senior ranks within organizations and say, so how are we doing? Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that the numbers have not substantially changed. So whether you look at law firms or you look at accounting firms, consulting businesses, the medical profession, higher education, the numbers are not reflected of what we would have expected. So the question's still the same. You know, why are women opting out of certain um, very senior leadership roles? And what is it that the organizations need to be doing? What perhaps are women looking for that is leading them? For example, more and more entrepreneurial ventures are being driven by women. So they are choosing to start their own businesses at a much faster pace than their male colleagues. So you know, there, it's certainly a different conversation. I, I'd love to say that you know this is some, kind of something we can set aside and just look at leadership in general, but we're nowhere near that. It's still a question of why is it different for women, even though you know educationally, et cetera, the differences aren't there. So it's, it's not so much that we're still talking about the problem of access. We're now very much talking about what actually happens even after access to opportunity. So what happens when opportunity develops and uh, how do careers evolve? But then we don't just, we see different facets to this when it comes to the family business. So family businesses supposedly this is what like recent statistics and recent surveys are suggesting family businesses supposedly are more friendly environments or like are more are better working environments for women apparently and so also have in recent years shown a higher penetration rate of women into board level uh, board level positions and executive positions now do you have any way of explaining this to us janice do you think that there's a particularity about the family business that makes this possible as opposed to you know a normal corporate environment well you know i think that first of all you're you're absolutely right so let me just give you some data so ernst and young just did a global study right so these are over 500 family controlled, some of the largest in the world, right? And you're right, then there's a higher percentage of these organizations that are being led by women. There's a higher percentage of women kind of in the waiting room, so to speak, to assume increased responsibilities. They tend to, whether they're 
family members that are female or non-family members have a higher percentage of women progressing through. On the family member side, I think that women have always had a major role in family businesses. The question is whether it has been at the forefront of the business itself or whether it's been at the forefront of the family. So I can tell you in my career, in a family business situation, the matriarch has tremendous amount of um, authority and influence in the business. She just may be doing it a little bit from behind the curtain, so to speak, but her opinions and guidance are being you know, significantly sought after. And she often has been the one that has had tremendous influence across the family and therefore has the ability to influence the business indirectly. So I believe that's been going on for a, a very long time period. I think also there's just candidly the family business, when you think of some of the critical attributes, so they tend to be quite long in their vision of success, right? That their goal is to continue to serve markets generation to generation. They tend to be very kind of people oriented and friendly, so they're loyal to their customers, to their employees, and they tend to be much more open and caring environments. You often hear people disclose that when they work for a family business, they feel, whether they're even though they're not family, that they're part of the family. Yeah. Those types of kind of nurturing elements often very naturally are can be associated with women leaders. So I think their styles tend to fit very well into the family business. And so there's more recognition of their capabilities to take businesses to the next level. It's not without problem though. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want people to think that, you know, the doors have been opened in family business and it's easy um, for these leaders to assume increasing responsibilities. It, it's, it's often quite difficult to be honest. And it's quite difficult because of course, if we're being very, very honest, the family business has traditionally been uh, primogenitor, right? Like, so it's uh, above the, the sign above the door says and sons, not and sons and daughters. And um, yeah. so therefore we are actually dealing still with a topic that is relatively new in that respect, also in the family business sphere. Now, I do think that it's very interesting because there is an underlying, maybe there used to be an underlying hypocrisy to the family business, of course. And then I think you've sort of touched upon it, right? Like, so women, as we know, have been, uh, you know, in more traditional roles, they've been the caregivers and they've been the caretakers and also very often the, the ones that uh, stood up for the harmony, preserving the harmony between family members right. and therefore contributing probably in the most significant way to the continuity of a family business across generations. And yet that recognition, to actually recognize that openly and actually talk about this has only started coming to the fore very recently so i mean we're really talking maybe 20 20 years or something like that that we're actually talking much more clearly about look daughters should be considered just as much as sons you know to be the next in line and it's not the end of the family business if you only have girls for instance or like right. you know, so, stuff like that and it's just like I, i'm very curious to add like just asking out of curiosity why do you think family businesses even though they understand time in such a different way they think so much more ahead, they think in terms of generations. Why have even family businesses taken this long to realize the untapped potential that is the female workforce? I mean, is it just discomfort? Is it, uh, is it a misguided type of protection that we're facing here? I mean, well, what, what do you think? 
I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think if you if we look back and you and you think about the generations, if you think about the the traditionalists, right? So the the people that are maybe in their 70s and beyond today, you think about how they grew up in the environments in which they effectively kind of came into business into power, right? Those are depression area members. So at that point, women in general, culturally, were really asked to, you know, take care of the family, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they weren't strong in the workforce. They weren't particularly uh, having the opportunity to, uh, you know, attend university, et cetera. You know, there's still a heavy influence of those traditionalists in, in the workplace today, right? So they just grew up in a different moment in time. It's much slower than I would think because you still say, well, okay, well, that those are people in their 70s, but what about leaders that are in their you know, 50s and are thinking about their, their daughters? Um, it's, still ta it's still part, I think, generational. Um, I'll give an example. I have a client who brought their daughter, was next, and became the, the new CEO. Um, so he passed the business on. She worked in the business with her uncles and cousins um, and, and candidly, they still remembered her as the gymnast, right? So as the, the little kid that, you know, used to do terrific at gymnastic meets. And so she was kind of continually having to address the issue of her competency and her ability to lead the business. And the unfortunate part was here she was in a time when there was a lot of really tough business decisions that needed to be mm -hmm. made mm -hmm. in order to really grow this business. And she was kind of stalled, right, because she was getting all of these kind of pushback and questions on her capabilities. So it can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's a that's a little bit of the disappointment here, right? But I, I think it's I think it's part generational, I think it's part cultural, and I think it's we're beginning, right? We're beginning to see some real change and beginning to see women leading not only in family businesses, but certainly in others. Um, I'm a big advocate of women helping. Women helping women, and certainly there are a whole host, this gentleman I met with on Saturday, a whole host of men that truly get that having a, a subset of the workforce doing their best isn't going to help their company succeed. And I think very well said, but I also think that, it, again, right, like, so uh, this is also one of those moments where I, I love what you just said, Janice, about, like, you know, it, it is up to, uh, it's up to women themselves, it's up to us, really, to define, to redefine the narrative also around this, and that counts, and I think this is even more important within the family business, where our, the new role in the workplace, or the more, the less traditional role in the workplace is directly and so personally linked with the with with our traditional role at home maybe uh, and where like you know people in the workplace know us in both now arguably like you know in a corporate environment people don't exactly know what kind of a mother you are what kind of a sister or daughter you are whereas in the family business you are as a family member you're usually confronted with people who as you know uh, as you just said remember that you were a gymnast as a kid or like you know remember so i think um, as much as that forges a bond, it's it's a very interesting challenge for a woman, I think, when she actually gets to the point where she's accepted as an equal member within the leadership team of family business, is to define those new boundaries. I'm very interested in the boundaries discussion because I feel like a lot of it, a lot of it sort of like revolves around boundaries and like, you know, how to define those boundaries and whether we dare set those boundaries, right? Like at some point. So I was wondering if you could answer the question for me as to what are for you sort of like the skills that you can hone as a woman, as a female leader in the family business that allow you 
to outgrow a certain persona, right? That the fa other family members associate with you and that allows you to move maybe to shift away from a position that other people wish to lock you into because it is their comfort zone. How do you also help your clients in sort of like, you know, moving, moving things along for them? So I think there's any number of things that um, women in those roles can, can do. I think first of all is, you need to understand effectively what is it you want. So personally, what are your goals? What would you what role do you see yourself in with it within the business? And then to be realistic about what does it take to get there? What are the skills and competencies and, and aptitudes that are necessary? And how are you going to go about accumulating those skills? The reality, including in family businesses, is that you need to kind of indicate what is it that you want what is it that you need the organization to help you with in order to get there and to let that be known and not assume because candidly your male counterparts whether they're family or not are highly likely to be having those exact same conversations so you're doing yourself a disservice in comparison so that's kind of one one understand what you want understand what it's going to take to get there and then make that be known as successful as women, as, as confident as they are, they often lack confidence. They are often the ones that are harming themselves in terms of the ability to really stand up for what they're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. So you have to build that confidence. And sometimes, candidly, in a family business, that's particularly difficult because you have played. You know, I've been the younger sister, or I've been the caretaker of my siblings, or I know how he's going to respond to a situation if I go a certain way. So you tend to not. That can be very powerful, but if you allow that to then stand in the way of what you're able to accomplish, it can be very negative for you. I have a question for you because I think that this is a conversation that is maybe a little bit controversial, again, in the sense that we like to equate entrepreneurs, good entrepreneurs, or family business members that are innovative and sort of entrepreneurially driven, we like to equate them with good leaders, which I have come to find is not necessarily true. Now, like as someone who's very entrepreneurial, who is an entrepreneur can be an extremely inspiring person, but does not necessarily equate into someone who has the right leadership skills at every stage of growth in the in the company. Absolutely. And, and you just spoke about, like, I find it interesting. So you just spoke about women becoming entrepreneurs, you know, how they're being underfunded, etc. How do we distinguish here between like having to obviously empower women into leadership positions, but also realizing that some women might just be born entrepreneurs, but that doesn't make them necessarily into born leaders. Have you seen those cases where you're like, okay, well, there's, those are just separate skill sets and one doesn't necessarily imply the other. And how do you deal with that when that's the case? Well, I, first of all, I completely agree with you. So if you think about what it takes to be an entre a successful entrepreneur, that is usually someone who has great vision, who has a great ability to kind of think about markets and products and services. They tend to, tend to generally have just kind of this persona about them that allows them to bring in, you know, kind of raving fans. Mm -hmm. That isn't necessarily the same attributes that allow them to be 
great internal leaders. Sometimes that is the case, right? So they're as charismatic and as driven internally as they are externally, but it's not always the case. And you'll notice a lot of great entrepreneurs may start out as as founders and CEOs, but then morph into other roles, whether that's chief strategy officer or others, as the business kind of evolves and grows. Because you have to realize, I mean, you know, being a leader takes time, it takes development, and it takes passion. You have to care deeply um, for the, the people who are part of your team. You have to be able to look inward at who you are and how you're responding, and at times, your own weaknesses. Um, and and those are that's not necessarily um, the traits that you have to have to at least launch an entrepreneurial venture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best entrepreneurs recognize that just like the best leaders recognize what they're particularly good at and maybe what they're not. So it's so interesting you'd, you'd say that here, like, you know, recognizing what you're good at and not. And, and I feel like so much of these conversations really come back to the topic of self-awareness, right? Like, and to understand really what are the battles that you pick. Um, and now I'm talking again as specifically as a woman within the family business context, or actually any business context, really. I mean, what are the battles that you pick? And and that self-awareness of understanding what you're fighting for. I feel like that is also like, it's a big one, right? Like, because today, I guess, throughout the whole noise that is justified to, of course, and is long overdue in many respects, but there's also this sense of like, you know, how do I assess what are the battles worth picking within mm-hmm. the family business? And when do you deploy what you just said before that patience and it's not submissiveness it's not to be confused with weakness or not standing up for yourself but that patience that we all know is the foundation of any mm-hmm. family business really that the family business resides on is the patience the endless patience of so many family members with each other with the market with non-family employees so how do you advise your clients to pick those battles and, and like how do you how do you prioritize them and, 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 and what do you tell them to encourage them to, to be self-aware? So your, your point about self-awareness is critically important. So, for example, the leaders that we work with, we go through an emotional intelligence assessment. It's one of my kind of favorite approaches to kind of really beginning to understand oneself and how one shows up in the workplace, right? So understanding your, yourself and the attributes that you're bringing first Second, that kind of career path discussion that I had with you just a moment ago. And the third is to always ask yourself, strategically, what does the business most need? What are our top priorities? And what is a today? What is next year? And what is a tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? And to also ask yourself, so if I don't address this right now, so if I I let this go, if if I'm a little bit more patient around this topic, what will be the consequences of my doing that? Right. So that almost taking a moment to really ask yourself, because particularly in family businesses, because there's such a sense of passion around what we stand for and what we're doing. And you can get to a point where everything seems to matter. Right. But if you can take a step back and ask yourself, so if this is deferred three months or six months or even a year, what will be the consequences? Really, really what will be the consequences? And so is this 